turn my mic up. Take there. Yeah, yeah, uh. On the road to the riches. Life takes a toll like bridges. Good friends become foes and snitches. Better watch who knows in your business. This is Truck and Hustle. All right, let's go. All right, guys, how's everybody doing? Everybody good? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Listen, let, let, let's, let's get into it. I want to start with a, a quick brief introduction just to put some context around this conversation about what you guys do. So just introduce yourselves, your name, and, and your business, and then we'll get into the, the, meat, the meat, and, uh, meat and potatoes. All right, my name is Daryl Palmer. I'm the owner of Houston Truck Wash and Lube right here in Houston, Texas. Wash trucks, service trucks, repair trucks, details, that's it. How you guys doing? I am one of clients of Daryl, um, but uh, my name is Russell Shepard and I'm founder and president of Ship Boys Waste Management. And um, we're haulers of human waste and rental providers of portable toilets, luxury restroom trailers, um, hand wash stations, water tanks, waste tanks, containment trays, and anything dealing with shit and piss we do. So <laughs> that's us. That's us. That's a good one. Um, my name is Condrad Daniels. I'm actually a, a, a second generation in-law that's been running the company since 2017. Um, and we have over 1.3 million square feet of distribution and warehouse space across Kentucky and Tennessee, headquartered out of uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And we do anything that can happen in four walls, which is anything from assembly uh, to light manufacturing um, to pick, pack and ship, e-commerce, order fulfillment. Got it, got it. All right, so we have three different niches on the stage. On the stage, so I'm gonna navigate this com this conversation and kind of weave through these different businesses to really just kind of paint a picture here. I'm gonna start with you, Conrad. You 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 do something with HJI Solutions that I even had to Google, right? You do something called kidding, right? So kidding is a. I, I would like you to explain what that is to the audience who doesn't understand what kidding is in the warehousing space. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's different in different industries. So um, think about in the automotive industry where you have a plant, let's say we do business with Toyota for, let's say in a Ford plant, they're building about 70 expeditions an hour. So 70 expedition and navigators an hour, that's what they're building. Well, they, the, the person that's responsible for putting on, let's say running boards, they only have about 10 feet and about 20 seconds to put that part on. So they wanna make sure that they are focused on the actual assembly of that part in a certain time. So we house all of the running boards, there's over 130 of them. We house all of the running boards in our facility. We ship them just in time to their facility. We get an order, it's gotta be out of our door in two hours in a closed loop system and we present it in a way where all they have to do is reach, pick up the running board and put it on. Reach, pick up the running board and put it on. So we get paid to make sure it's the right part in the right sequence and on time. So that's automotive. Um, so that's a you know, pretty niche market because uh, you get paid a dollar to do it right and about $3,000 a minute if it's late. So high barrier of entry. Um, in other industries, let's say uh, healthcare, we'll bring in a whole pallet of um, PPE equipment, but 
the people on the other side that are buying it can't receive a pallet. So we'll break down that pallet to cartons and sometimes to eaches and just send it out. Um, so it, it allows the, the people that are making the gloves to specialize in what they do while we take care of the, of the other logistics part of it that they just don't know how to do or have the systems in place to do it. There it is. Russell, former NFL athlete. Uh, I know you started your, your transportation career in dump trucks and transitioned into piss and shit, as you like to say. Yeah, Talk yeah. about that transition, why you left the dump trucks and you got into waste management. Talk about it. Well, um, just like a lot of entrepreneurs, you start off in one lane, you continue to kind of grow and you scale and you do different things. And, you know, my family has 30 plus years of logistics, in particular, dump trucking, long hauling throughout the country. So, you know, throughout my time in the NFL, while I focus on my primary income playing ball, you know, I was always looking for another niche that I can adapt, that we can evolve, that my circle you know, my support can kind of, they can jump in too and they can support and help us scale it. So um, my last year, you know, while playing ball, um, you know, we, I was told by kind of a mentor, you know, I need to look into the waste industry. He said, people throwing trash away every day. And he said, people shitting and pissing every day. <laughs> so, um, you know, what happened was, is, you know, when I did my due diligence, I seen that um, there was a lack of minority within our industry, um, there, was, there wasn't enough companies. And um, I seen there was something that my support and cast, my team can do. You know, I come from a family of blue-collared blue individuals. You know, we're not tech, we're not savvy, you know, we're not those type of people. But, you know, identifying my support, my people's niche and what they do well, um, I knew it was still logistics and it was just hard work, dedication. So um, we started with one, one pump truck and we started with 28 toilets. And um, over a three year period span, um, we're up to almost a thousand rentable items that we service on a weekly basis. And um, it's just an amazing thing, man. Um, I encourage people to look at things that um, that are everyday, that are it's a need for it, and identify a problem within the industry. And with the waste industry, whether it's physical trash or is is liquid liquid trash, as they say, wastewater. Um, there's a problem with service. There's a problem with, you know, the, the, the industry hasn't modernized. It hasn't caught up with the time. So we identified a bunch of problems within a, a lucrative and a, a needed industry, and uh, we went with it. And uh, we had no understanding of the waste industry, wastewater treatment, wastewater hauling. But, um, you know, we jumped out there. I retired. My people sold our, our then trucking, dump trucking company, and um, we just kind of we just keep it going. Let's keep it going. So it's been a good thing, man. Now we're scaling. You know, there's companies, as Daryl will say, in this industry, Texas Outhouse, they got 25,000 restrooms. So as time goes, mm. we'll get into the thousands and thousands. But um, to this point, we're just willing to deal. Got it. Got it. Love it. So, Daryl, you, you service the entire industry, man. You keep us clean, looking good. Uh, you are a necessary and integral part to any transportation business. Talk to us about, you know, your business. And you guys have been around for quite some time. Just tell me about, you know, your kind of uh, beginning stages and in getting into that industry. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my grandfather, when he retired from the U.S. Army, he started pressure washing. And this was back in 1972, so a little over 50 years ago now. Um, and he got in with Exxon, um, being a blue-collar man himself. You know, he all about hard work and 
Exxon loves hardworking people just as anybody else, but uh, they loved the way he worked, so he was able to get uh, every Exxon drilling within 300, 350 miles of here in Houston uh, back in 1972, and then uh, different time, but my dad had started with him too when he was 12 years old in the oil field, so. And then it evolved to uh, doing trucks, doing equipment, buildings, and uh, we still do buildings and things like of that nature, but now our shop here in Houston, mainly 18-wheelers, uh, we do some equipment still, but like I said, ma mainly 18-wheelers, and you know our three core values, I'm gonna say values, is pricing, quality, and service. Um, that's, that's the way I was raised on, and really those three is me as a, the person providing the service, I'm gonna get one of those three, and as a truck driver or person that is wanting the service, you're gonna get two. So mostly people, they want the quality and they want the service. Yeah. Um, so uh, that's what we've, you know, we've built upon that and uh, we've added more things over the years. My dad, when he was still running the, the show, he didn't do repairs, he didn't do inspections or things like that. I've implemented more and more things throughout the 10, 11 years that I've been taking over the company, so. You've improved on the design. Yes, sir. For sure, for sure. And, and, and that's a great segue, Conrad, for you. HJI Solutions, uh, initially, you guys didn't start in the kitting space or in the warehousing space. You guys were asset-based company with hundreds of trucks. Kind of tell that story of how you decided to uh, kind of pivot from doing that type of business to the warehousing and, and, and found your niche. Yeah, so our, our founders, um, my, my in-laws, uh, they had a, about a 450 million um, transportation company really doing finished goods automotive transportation. And they, they had a big piece of that market. There were three partners. And um, at the end of the day, um, our founders were trying to build a legacy business. Another founder was trying to build a balance sheet to sell it. And they just couldn't quite get along. So there were about, there were five transportation companies in all that they built, one catered to certain industries. And then there was a little old warehouse company that had one location and one customer. So they, they decided to divest. Um, they did a big ESOP deal, divested of that huge transportation company, and they were left with this small warehousing company. Um, and you know, I came on board with my background in industrial engineering um, and systems, um, they gave me the opportunity to kind of work in the business, uh, continue to grow within the business. And you know, when that big recession hit in 2008, 2009, they had to put money into it, but they wanted to know, was this worth putting money into? So I, you know, I felt like they had the confidence in myself um, and the rest of the team, and they decided to put money into it. And that was kind of the first commitment of okay, maybe this is something that they can transition to the second generation. Um, so, you know, to, to go from a big $450 million company to at the time, I think it was like a $5 million company, while five million is substantial, it's just not where it was. So over the years, we've been able to grow. Um, we did a generational succession plan that I led because I just, I, I looked around and a lot of these family business organizations, and none of us were represented. So then you start to understand that generational wealth 
is just now starting for us. We just didn't have businesses. We couldn't get loans. Uh, we couldn't get mortgages that would allow for that generational wealth to extend past, you know, our grandparents' age. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm 46 years old, and I'm already thinking about the third generation. So we, we put this six-year generational succession plan in place. Um, I became president in 2017 after that, and we've been able to just grow, scale, and just grateful, of course, for the family to have an in-law that's non-blood related um, to, uh, to lead the organization, but also grateful for founders that have a willingness to let go. And, you know, there's a lot of people in this room that eventually you're going to be there, hopefully. And you're going to have to make sure you have that succession plan in place so that your lifestyle can continue, put it all on the table. This is what I expect out of this business. I want this car. I want these season tickets. I want this and this. Put it out there so that the second generation understands this is what's coming with the opportunity to continue something and then have a willingness to let go. For sure. And, and Russell, you similar, similarly uh, you know, also pivoted your business, as I mentioned earlier. Talk to me about you know, how much of a difference it is being a, uh, I would say, a big fish in a small pond as opposed to like a small fish in a big pond. Like you were in dump trucks where there's many more people that, you know, many people here want to get into the dump, dump truck space and it's an amazing opportunity, right? But there's pro it's probably a little bit easier to attain the knowledge to get into the dump truck space. It's more traditional, right? But you went after something that was not typical. Talk to me about how that's benefited you and the trajectory that happened after you kind of took that step. You know, um, it's, been, it's been good, you know, like you said, identifying the right market that everybody doesn't see. And I love the dump truck game. I encourage everybody, you know, it's always good to diversify your fleet, do different things, you know, sand, gravel, just the logistics space with the dump trucks. It isn't going anywhere. It's neat. You know, it's earth hauling, as we would call it when I was when I was in the game. But finding unique niches where, again, there's not a lot of minority representatives and you don't have to be a black or brown. Um, you can be a, you can be a woman. Um, you can be somebody that's, you can be a white, a white individual that's underserved, come from, you know, lack of resources. But identifying those markets where there's a need and there's not enough representation of yourself, so you can then utilize the resources that come with being a minority in that space. So with me, I seen that I was the only, we will be the only black-owned, minority-owned um, porter can company in the Houston market, where Houston is the third third, soon to be second largest, you know, city in terms of population in due time as my as migration and things, you know, occur in this region. So we identified the market where we didn't see a lot of us. And then we identified different type of certifications, different type of federal contracts, different type of niches that we can take advantage of. And so with my company, again, I come from a background where I was in the NFL. I was living the dream, you know, living the American dream. You know, I was, you know, making great money. I was supporting my family. But at the end of the day, I was still a slave to a, you know, to a salary. I was a slave to a company. You know, I couldn't leave when I wanted to leave. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So, you know, once I, I realized, okay, the NFL is great, but let me pivot. Let me identify. Let me use my criteria to find our new, our new entry into ownership, into um, generational wealth. You know, that's when, you know, the waste became amazing. And again, 
It sounds crazy. You know, <laughs> I, I was supposed to sign with the Baltimore Ravens um, August 3rd of 2020 in the midst of COVID. I called them August 2nd and I told Coach Harbaugh, I'm about to retire. He said, what the hell? He said, what are you about to do? He said, I'm about to drive a shit truck around. <laughs> he, he thought I was crazy. But I did my due diligence. I did my research on the industry, identified problems within the industry, identified things that can help us scale at a faster pace like the minority certifications. So I knew if I wanted to start this, I, need a, I needed a woman business partner. I needed the, the, the WBE um, certification. So I brought in my mother. She was a partner, she's my VP now. Um, I knew I needed um, a, 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 a MBE a minority certification. So I knew we qualified for all these different types of certifications where when they're building uh, ExxonMobil capital project that's gonna be for three years and they need you know, 20, 30 pieces of equipment, I knew that we'll qualify that. I knew if they had a disaster, if they had a hurricane that happened in the Gulf Coast along New Orleans, I knew that FEMA, Red Cross, they have to identify minority-owned companies. So I know from that federal contract, certain percentage of that, that contract is allocated towards us. And they consider us low risk, high spending, being that we're not engineers, we're not mechanics, mechanical engineers, silver engineers, we just hauling shit. <laughs> but it costs to deal with shit, you know? So again, you know, when you're a minority owned company in a space where you're not a huge liability, you become more attractive on a government standpoint, you know, when dealing these type of contracts, cause they wanna, they have to allocate certain cash certain things to these to the minority owned companies but the, at the end of the day they got to make sure that the work gets done at, at a certain level so right. again us being a really low risk but again you know as you start to get one porta potty two porta potty a dozen a waste tank a water tank you know on one site we could have 10 different pieces of equipment you know, and, and have a quantity of 30 pieces of equipment once you total everything up. We just knew that, okay, look, this is our space. We, are, we strategically. All right, guys, Truck & Hustle has now partnered with Transpo CFO, powered by Venning. Transpo CFO offers a streamlined monthly subscription for businesses to consolidate their accounting, payroll, and tax needs into one flat monthly rate, saving businesses a tremendous amount of time and money while making their financial operations much smoother for the long road ahead. Check out Transpo CFO in the description below and tell them Truck & Hustle sent you. Now let's get back to the show put together our criteria for finding the right, the right niche, the right space for us. And again, we went with it and we stuck to the plan. And um, like I said, you don't, you can have a thousand trucks, but you got a thousand motors to deal with, a thousand transmissions. You can have, uh, you can be doing 10 million, $20 million in revenue, but you need a hundred people, 200 people to operate that, to, to, you know, to operate that, that operation. So now your, your payroll, your cost of operation, payroll. So I wanted to find something where, okay, we can control the cost of, cost of operation. You know, we can over time grow margins. And then again, we can utilize our lack of presence in this space. And that's what, that's what has happened with us in the, the waste space, you know, unlike, restaurants, unlike a lot of things where it's saturated, there's not enough waste companies. So United Rentals, Republic, you know, Waste Connection, all these people, as soon as you do the hard work of getting the company up and going, they'll buy you out. You know, I met a guy yesterday, he, he sold five waste companies to United States Services. He builds them, 
He says, I want to sell. He presents his financials. He gives his tax, his tax returns and all his, you know, things that come with it. And he sells. Sounds a four or five year non-compete. Travels the world, does, does, supports his family, does what he wants to do. And he does it again. So, again, you know, you got to know what you want to get out of it. You got to identify the problems, identify what, what, what we do and how my team and I can really kind of get into this space. And you just got to go with it. Just got to go with it. I love that. I love that. Daryl, um, we talked about improving on a design. What started as a, a simple truck wash, you developed other uh, offerings, right? Talk to me about finding those niches, niches within, the, within the niches and how you decide to add different products and services onto your current offerings. Uh, well, it, it was really quite simple. Uh, I just had enough truck drivers ask me, hey, do you do this? <laughs> hey, do you do that? No, but I'll figure it out. <laughs> right. And, you know, identified the problem and then worked to figure it out and added that, you know, little extra to the to the company. So, you know, we never did uh, DOT inspections before. Had enough drivers finally ask me that I guess, well, I need to look into this. So looked into it, did the class, did the cert got certified, got all my tech certified, got everything ready to go, is there. Well, when you do DOT inspections, if something fails, brakes, shocks, air leaks, you gotta have someone to fix it. You had to hire mechanics, had to get parts. Just, I, you know, more and more things, you know, we did, at, you know, we added to it, you know, uh, there's certain things we don't do, but, you know, if people ask me enough, <laughs> I will add to, I will add it to the company. <laughs> for sure, so. for sure. Conrad, uh, the, the kidding space, the warehousing space, for somebody who's hearing you right now and they're interested in this opportunity and they wanted to start small, they wanted to start today, they wanted to start once they leave Freight Fest because they, they, they hear it, they think it's cool, it's different. What advice would you give them on how to kind of break into the industry that you're in? Um, it's, it's, it's tough just because, I mean, a typical, a typical distribution center, we've got eight of them is about 300,000 square feet. So imagine, you know, putting, uh, faith over fear, leasing space out where you don't have all the concrete covered yet. You just have maybe an anchor tenant and then you got to grind and, you know, have your new business development team out there. But we started with two trucks. So we started in transportation. Um, you know, he, the, I forgot the gentleman up here earlier, but he, he talked about winning in your backyard. So there's companies like us that have to be within a five mile radius of OEMs. So people that are making stuff, whether it's General Electric washers that we do assembly for and subassembly or Ford plants or Toyota plants. To me, um, when we get a contract to provide a service that has to be there within a certain time, they are running three shifts, weekends, and they're gonna give us that contract, but it includes transportation. We're not a transportation company. You know, could we do it? Yeah, but. We don't, we don't want to have extra pieces of equipment laying around, extra drivers on call when people call in. So we outsource that. I write a check right now for one of my facilities to a transportation company for $50,000 a week. And it's not even a per load, it's a per hour. I'm literally writing a check, $50,000 a hour? week. That's like 2.6 million a year, <laughs> Damn. right? And guess what, they get the cream of the crop because their drivers are driving five miles 
back and forth, and they're at home every day. They just get some trucks, they get some you know trailers, they make sure the trailers are modified to however we want it. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's opportunities out there that don't require you being all over the road and you're supporting manufacturing, which we're reshoring. What COVID did was said, the United States cannot be reliant on just overseas exports. So these companies are reshoring. I'm, in, I'm out of Louisville, Kentucky, an hour south of us, they're building one of the biggest battery plants ever, and they can't find enough truck, truck drivers, traffic, shuttles, you know, going back and forth. They don't have the infrastructure. They just know it. We gave enough incentives in the state of Kentucky to say you need to relocate here. We gave them all the power consumption they needed, and now they're going to be building batteries. So, you know, these types of manufacturing industries, you know, if, if you can afford to cast that vision and look far enough out, you could be right in the mix of just shuttle runs that can, I mean, you can create your business around that, you know? Um, I, no, I love that. Ho I love hopefully, that. Now, that's a great, that's yeah. some great information. We don't want to run. We, we have to take on the transportation, but we don't have the excess capacity when stuff goes wrong for that stuff to just sit there while we're doing that. So we, we outsource that. Got it. Got it. Russell, uh, you know, we, we, we were on Truck and Hustle, so we talked about your story um, with the gentleman from Zeters. He kind of put you in position to kind of get started. Um, talk to me about, you know, for someone, again, who, who's looking to get into this industry, is it difficult to break through? What are the steps that you want to take to get into waste management? Do you start with one truck? Do you start with finding, you know, one customer? How, how does it look? How does it work? You know, with me, um, just reaching out to people that had experience or expertise within the space, that was the biggest thing with me, trying to find people. And obviously using the NFL shield um, to get inside certain doors. And sometimes it's not an NFL shield. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's just a conversation. Sometimes it's just being persistent and consistent. You know, when I'm looking at an outside sales rep, I want somebody that's persistent. Because sometimes the person that just continues to keep going, sometimes that just makes a person be like, all right, come on, what you want? to know so um I, it's not it's not everybody's going to say something's hard but if you really want it you're going to make time for it and you're going to do what's ne necessary to accomplish it and um I, I, this is my thing you everybody has their hurdles and everybody has their things that they have to overcome from a financial standpoint a lack of support lack of resources it can be physical disability whatever it is but you know identify what what your hurdles are identify what you want Find a problem. Find a problem within whatever space that you believe you have some expertise in or you have the right supporting cast. So like with me, I knew we're a logistic family. We understood trucking. But how do we find something that people isn't hauling every day? And what's something that people haul every day? And it was shit. It was human waste. Um, as we continue to scale, um, we're looking into hauling grease. This is the South. People frying stuff every day. There's 30,000 restaurants in Houston. They ha all have grease traps, all of them. Septic systems, this is one of the biggest markets when it comes to septic systems. Systems, waste systems that's not connected to city sewers. We have huge suburbs, the Woodlands, Pearland, Katy, Hockley, septic systems, it's a great niche. Um, grit traps, every car wash has grit that has to be sucked out. I mean, so, Again, find a specialty niche where you identify a problem, 
and you don't see you as a representation. Again, I don't care what it is. It can be waste. It can be legit. It can be a restaurant industry. It can be real estate, whatever it is. But there are specialty industries, markets within everything that we look into. But find something where it's not a lot of us, identify a problem, and create a solution to the problem. You do that, I mean, you, you accomplish everything that you want to accomplish. And I, I, I made great money playing ball. I made a lot of, I got a lot of peers that have made great, great, amazing money, hundreds of millions of dollars. But even them, they haven't, ownership is everything. So I left my job, but when I retired, they had to pay me at that point $1.5 million just to be on the team because I was an older guy and that was my, my package, my veteran package. But I seen, I quit my job, my million dollar job to oversee and run an operation that wasn't even doing $10,000 a month because I seen the importance of ownership. It, it, is, it is the most important thing in terms of pushing yourself and your family forward. So identify a great industry or problem and create a solution. I love that. And uh, Daryl, uh, if you're interested in the truck wash space, what, what do you have to think about? Is location important? Is uh, a space important? What are the first things that you kind of have to map out to make sure that you'll be a viable truck washing solutions uh, based company? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, location is pretty, pretty important. Um, you know, especially here in Houston, where I'm at, there's more 18 wheelers within five miles of me than the entire United States. Mm. And I'm about five miles from the port of Houston uh, and right off the freeway. Um, but, you know, everything's moving outside. Everyone's trying to get outside of Houston to, you know, either Baytown or towards Katy. Uh, but if you can be along the major, major freeway, Anywhere close to a major freeway, you're, that's, that's, that's where you need to be at. Um, and kind of a little bit to piggyback off of what Russell said when he was talking about restaurants. 30,000 restaurants in Houston, all their fryers have to be clean. All of them within, I don't know, a month or two maybe, something like that. Every two months, they all have to be cleaned. So uh, if you're looking to get into pressure washing, truck wash, I mean, you name it, this building has to be clean. That's Restaurants, right. buildings, equipment, everything has to be clean. So uh, if you want it, you just got to go get it. It's out there. You just got to, you know, there's, there's customers that I don't have that I call weekly, email monthly, and I've been working on them for a year, two years, three years. They got someone else that is doing the business, but in case that person slips up or company slips up, Call me. I, I call them every, there's a customer right now for three straight years. I've called them every week. Email them every month. Hey, just let you know, I'm here. Whenever you need me, call me. He did that to me. <laughs> I did. And he got him. I texted him too. Until <laughs> he finally showed up. <laughs> I love that. I love that. All right. And in closing out, guys, I just want to, you know, kind of have you guys give kind of your final thoughts on, you know, just what you kind of leave the audience with, and we've been kind of doing that all through this discussion, um, but just like some closing words about just, you know, how to find your niche, how to, uh, you know, get started, just anything you can leave them with and impress upon them as we, as we bring this to a close. Yeah, so I'm, I'm at a phase in my life now where I'm joining um, boards like the Chamber of Commerce, your, your city Chamber of Commerce, your state Chamber of Commerce, um, I'm joining these boards so that I can encourage business owners like you all to pay the little $500 a year 
join your local chamber of commerce, get involved in their mentor protege programs or an incubator program, because what that does, all those board members, 50, 60 of us, we all are decision makers in the most profitable businesses in the city. And getting an opportunity to present in front of them as one of these participants in an incubator or even just having access to a networking event with these people, um, they wanna do business with people they like. And if you're not in the room, right, there's, there's not a whole bunch of influence you can have, but these are decision makers on these boards, they're representative of all the different industries in a city or in a state, and just by you all paying that little money and, and getting involved with your local chamber of commerce or your state chamber of commerce gives you a platform to sell whatever you have. That's right, Russell. Um, I'd say just continue to evolve as, as, a, as an owner, as an entrepreneur, as, just as a person, man. You know, people want to make a million dollars, $10 million, but do you know what it takes to, to make that? I mean, accounts receivables, tracking your money down. Big businesses pay slow. You know, so being able to project and forecast cash flow, um, um, understanding P&L sheets, understanding balance sheets. This is, you know, I made millions of dollars before I understood all this. And, and then while, after I spent damn near all my money to get it going, <laughs> I had to realize, oh shit, I gotta learn this stuff. You know what I'm saying? So being able to evolve, that's probably one of the biggest things why we continue to get denied from major banking and financial institutions, private equity, is that our shit isn't in order. Um, we, you know, we have no strategic growth plan. Um, we, 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 don't, we don't understand how our business fully operates and what's the cost of operation, what's the gross profit, you know, what's the net profit, you know, what's the, what's the, off the EBITDA, you know, what, in your industry, what's the multiple that they're buying your, your actual market from? I mean, you have to continuously grow in the space if you want to do what you want to do. Ain't nobody, I had to tell myself, I said, this ain't the NFL no more, kid. <laughs> you ain't. You have to pay a staff now. You gotta watch payroll. <laughs> you gotta be able to talk to your CPA. You gotta figure out, okay, what can I um, use as a depreciation asset that so I don't have to pay the government the IRS a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars from making a net profit. I mean, there's a continuous growth and a learning curve in entrepreneurship, and you gotta embrace that stuff, man. You know, you gotta get on. You gotta be uncomfortable getting uncomfortable. And you got to continuously find people that's going to elevate you and hold you accountable because you're, you're, you yourself are not going to build a billion dollar company. It don't happen like that. And even when you get to that point, you got to have amazing team, partners, resources to continue to run that efficiently and scale it. So I say grow within your, within your lane, be humble enough and seek people that are experts and that are doing what you want to do at a certain level and just keep going. Just keep going. I love that. Daryl. Kind of piggybacking off of what both of them had said, uh, you know, it's a grind, it's hard. Truck washing is not easy, as you may, some people may think it is, because right now what's happening in the trucking industry, especially around here in, in local Houston, it ain't moving. You see trucks moving, but it really ain't moving. So how many people you think are showing up at my, my place right now getting a truck wash that aren't working? None, it's hard. So you gotta you gotta be ready to ride the wave, the waves that do come often, be in the grind, um, you know, big, you know, whatever whatever 
you're after, if you ever government contracts, big companies, you know, it's it's great to get, but you gotta you gotta have the smaller ones too to offset because when you lose that big contract, when you lose that big company, it hurts and it hurts bad. So you gotta be sure, you know, go after the big big marlin, but you gotta have all those redfish too that uh or trout at that you know you have two in your pocket that you you know you're still moving still working your company so that's my advice i have that's right the riches are the niches i want to thank you gentlemen everybody give them a round of applause make sure you connect with them as they walk through the audience if you twisted confused or stuck about trucks don't be dumb this is the place to come truck and hustle let's go